is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening and welcome to my show. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thanks so much for tuning in. Welcome to my show and to tonight's First Five. Well, if you pay attention to news at all, you do realize that this week there was a very significant development in the whole ongoing FBI, Department of Justice, etc. scandal, which was that Attorney General Jeff Sessions is actually alive and well, and he fired Andrew McCabe, who was the who was uh, entitled the deputy director of the FBI, and he was actually fired. Uh, Andrew McCabe was fired within a few hours. I think it was 22 hours before he would have actually become eligible to receive his pension um, after having served in the federal government for uh, over two decades. Um, he was, had actually been, to back up on him, the acting director, Andrew McCabe, had been the acting director from May until August of 2017 after President Trump fired James Comey. But if I had to give a title to this first five tonight, it is No Tears for Andrew McCabe. I am seeing conservatives, uh, pundits, and people on Facebook kind of saying, this is, you know, this is kind of mean. That seems like it was too mean. Why do we have to do that? That's picking on the guy. Let me make something clear. You, the notion that he is going to be deprived of his pension is the least of his problems. And it should be. Let me just run through who this guy was and is. I do not think anyone should be fired lightly. I get jobs matter. You don't fire someone for no reason. This is so serious. The conduct he engaged in, the impact on our country, the impact on the functioning of our national security agencies, our, our, our entire structure of the enforcement of law in Washington. It is a massive betrayal on his part and on the part of many other people with whom he conspired or colluded. And the idea that he finally is going to be held accountable is not something you should cry about. Let me just start with a few things that he did. He did. The reason for his firing, in case you didn't get the exact details, the reason for his firing is that both the FBI's Office of Professional Responsibility, these are career-trained fact-finding investigators. This wasn't just, you know, a mob of, of Republicans piling on him. These are professional long-term FBI Office of Professional Responsibility investigators and and the Department of Justice Office of Inspector General. More on that in a moment. The Inspector General is going to be coming out with a report uh, detailing all of his investigation within the FBI. But both of those entities uh, looked at the evidence, looked at his conduct that they know already is proven, and said, number one, he made unauthorized disclosures to the media. Or, in other words, he leaked he repeatedly made false statements to investigators. They use the term he lacked candor. He lied to these investigators, including under oath, during a review of how the FBI conducted its probe into Hillary Clinton's email server. More on that in a moment. He's been on leave since January, which the reason he's been on leave since January is the new FBI director, Christopher Ray put him on leave after reading information uncovered by the House Intelligence Committee about his, McCabe's, involvement in the use of this nasty, unsubstantiated hoax document, the famous Steele dossier, used to get the FISA warrant to begin spying on a political enemy. And Christopher Ray read what McCabe's involvement was. That was enough to, to ask him to step aside as of January. But maybe this is the, it's hard to even know which is the biggest piece of this, but... And my theme of do not cry tears over Andrew McCabe, 
Andrew McKay's wife ran for Senate, for Virginia Senate, the state of Virginia Senate. She received nearly $700,000 from Terry McAuliffe, the Virginia governor, Hillary accomplice, Hillary co-conspirator. Hillary, you know, uh, just the, she, he is locked at the hip, connected the hip with Hillary Clinton. So Terry McAuliffe is helping McCabe's wife run for governor by putting in almost $700,000 to sources he controls. And at the same time, so this is all happening in 2015, Jill McCabe, Dr. Jill McCabe, announced she was running in March of 2015. The election, which she lost, was November of 2015. During that time, Andrew McCabe, still happily working in Washington, was working on the Hillary Clinton investigation of her use of the email server. So he's thinking, gee, my wife's campaign is pretty much financed by these people, and we're thinking he could do a job investigating the Hillary Clinton email scandal. He did not step down. He did not step away from the Hillary Clinton email scandal investigation until one week before the 2016 presidential election. He had various roles. He wasn't running the investigation for some period of time. He was involved. He was helping. He was suppliant. This is a guy corrupt to the core. He was also deeply and heavily involved in the entire effort to get the FISA warrant ginned up enough to take it to the uh, to the FISA court judge to get a warrant to spy on his political enemies. This is not a guy who was conducting himself in accordance with the high standards we in America have the right to expect from our Department of Justice, from our FBI. This is a guy, he, as I say, did not recuse himself until the uh, a week before the election, and right in the middle of the whole email thing, and also in the middle of the email thing, being one of the central players involved in changing the language in the memo that James Comey wrote after his interrogation of Hillary Clinton, changing the language to protect Hillary Clinton, and ultimately he was involved in the entire what I will call conspiracy to protect Hillary Clinton at the same time to try to bring down a sitting president of the United States, Donald Trump. No tears for Andrew McCabe. I'm Debbie George S. America, can we talk? Come right back. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Thanks so very much for tuning in. I always want to say a special hello and welcome to our listeners in Dallas, of course. My home, love Dallas, Texas, love being on air in Texas. Also want to welcome our listeners in Colorado Springs, love talking to you every week, and also our listeners in Phoenix. And at the end of this segment, I'm going to share something with you, if you're among our Phoenix and uh, Arizona listeners, about an event you could go to featuring Dr. Kelly Ward. She's running for U.S. Senate, as you likely know. She's been on the show many times. In fact, she's going to be on again in May. We have a date in May, I think. So anyway, there's a great event coming up involving Dr. Sebastian Gorka coming out to endorse her, uh, which is huge, or as Trump would say, huge. And you really, really should go to that. So I want to be sure at the end of this segment. But what I want to try to do in this segment is tell you um, 
something I figured out today, and I always try to promise not to over-lawyer things or make you just crazy with about legal stuff, but I did want to um, tell you about something that is uh, happening that was written up by, it's extremely significant. It involves and relates to the investigation, the ongoing investigation by Robert Mueller. And I know we've talked about this a lot in this show and how it has a very political flavor to it. But the reason what I'm going to tell you is so, so important is because, number one, the person who wrote it, Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy, he's been on this show before. He's a, just a nationally renowned, renowned scholar and thinker. He's a former U.S. prosecutor. He was one of the prosecutors of the Blind Shake. He's a prolific writer, writes at National Review, widely revered. And throughout this process, for a long time, Andrew McCarthy was, no matter how upset conservatives would get about the Russia hoax, you know, the Russia-Trump investigation, the allegations it was a hoax, there was a long time when Andrew McCarthy hung in there with Robert Mueller and said, he, you know, this is he, uh, he, Andrew McCarthy, you know, he's a former U.S. attorney. He honors the FBI. He honors the Justice Department. He believes in the system that we have in our country, as he should. And he felt that Mueller, Robert Mueller, would not be doing something as political as was being described by Donald Trump and some of the conservatives who were just very, very troubled by the um, what was uh, ongoing in the Mueller investigation. And so what I want to tell you about, you need to pay close attention. I have friends who say they take notes during my show. This is definitely a take notes thing. As we mentioned many times, this investigation, this Robert Mueller investigation into the Trump-Russia collusion is not a, this entire thing is under regulations created at the Department of Justice. This is not under a statute. It's a special counsel regulations, government regulations promulgated by the Department of Justice. Those regulations require, they say, they trigger, to trigger the appointment of a special counsel. These regulations require the Justice Department identify the crimes that warrant investigation. This is, this, this is not my only point. This is just a stepping off point of what I want to tell you. But as we point out many times, and many commentators have, there was no crime alleged at the time this special counsel was appointed by Rod Rosenstein. So Mueller is going along, completely open-ended, no limits on where he can go. He can delve into anything of any, you know, the, the uh, assignment to him was to essentially try to figure out if there was any collusion between Trump and Russia. And then, and then any, he could, was also authorized to investigate anything else related thereto. Well, that may have been bad enough and was bad enough by itself. It was a failure to follow their own laws. But what with this article, and again, everything we talk about in this show, America Can We Talk, is posted at the website, americacanwetalk.org. What this piece is talking about is that Robert Mueller has, as you may know, he's, he's found, after all this time, no evidence of collusion between Trump and the Trump team and Russia in terms of swaying the 2016 elections. But what he did do, as you likely know, is that Mueller, uh, he had a set of indictments, two sets of indictments against two different people, Paul Manafort and Richard Gates. Paul Manafort, as served briefly as a campaign manager for Trump, turned out that didn't work so well, went on his way. And then uh, his uh, business partner, Robert Ga- Richard Gates. Okay, so there was a, a, an indictment against the two of them Thursday, February 22nd of this year. They were, there were nine bank fraud counts, nine. 
bank fraud counts against them, carrying a penalty of 30 years imprisonment each. So carrying a potential penalty of 270 years. Those are the bank fraud counts. In addition, five tax fraud counts, yielding a potential of 15 years imprisonment, three years for each offense. On top of that, there was an earlier indictment last year in October, a money laundering indictment, $75 million, as expression as what Andrew McCarthy says, eye-popping amounts of money, $75 million from money laundering um, and a conspiracy to commit money laundering. So all of that was alleged against these two people, against Manafort and Gates. However, the day after that indictment, uh, these are things like these are, you know, serious, serious crimes can carry lengthy penalties, serious crimes. The very next day, the day after this indictment, Mueller permitted Gates, the one of them, the, the less involved with Trump, Gates, to plead guilty to two minor charges, meaningless charges. These were charges that basically had the possibility of zero to five years in prison. But the, the point that, that uh, Andrew McCarthy is making in this really is kind of explosive piece, and I hope that it gets a lot of attention, I really, really urge you to read it, is that instead of you know, charging him with something to send him to prison for 300 years, he was charging him with almost nothing. And so first you think, OK, well, he's just trying to get Gates to then cooperate against Manafort. But that is not true. And he lays out if I if I go through all the reasons why that is not the case from this McCarthy piece, I'll miss out the, the most important point he's trying to make. And I want to jump to that and tell you what this prosecution, why it has now caused Andrew McCarthy to become extremely suspicious, concerned, whatever word you want to use, is that. The prosecutions that are moving forward under Mueller against Manafort and Gates, he's using a catch-all conspiracy statute, a catch-all statute that's kind of there. And um, it says he describes it to slash sentencing exposure. There is a a law, Section 371, uh, does prescribe punishment for from zero to five years for those who conspire to commit any offense against the United States. And so there's kind of a, a catch-all, he kind of conspire to do anything. Okay, so there's, there's that one, 371. And then, but he also goes through in this article, you just got to read it, the, all the, the kind of sentencing guidelines, the conduct guidelines that prosecutors and the federal level are supposed to follow, all drop to the wayside, all being ignored. Um, and his, this is uh, what he's getting around to saying is that Mueller is saying that Gates conspired to commit Failure to file um, bank reports, foreign failure to, it's called FBAR, the statute, failure to file reports of foreign bank accounts. That's one charge. Second charge, failure to register as a foreign agent. This is relating to his money dealings with Ukraine and Russia. But these are charges. These are like failure to sign your check kind of level things. Failure to file. He says normally these are not even charged. They just kind of go to the person and say, hey, you forgot to file this form. But what he's getting at is that he feels like Mueller is shielding Gates from even his, his uh, possible liability for these FBAR and FARA things. But what he's getting around to doing is he is conflating, to use the famous word, and this is the crux, the importance of this story. Mueller appears to Andrew McCarthy to be conflating two statutes there is no offense, as he says, Section 371, there's no such offense as a conspiracy against the United States. But he's using that language, saying he's charging them with conspiracy against the United States when the statute actually requires conspiracy to defraud 
the United States. So then he's saying the failure of Mueller, excuse me, the failure of Manafort and Gates to not file these things, which are, you know, slap on the wrist offenses, is a, he's saying that falls under this 371, this falls under this, he's calling conspiracy against the U.S. when there isn't a law like that. It says you have to be trying to defraud the U.S., and he's saying that Mueller is trying to bring criminal – he's creating a new federal law. He said he's violating separation of powers, creating a new federal law, saying this, this catch-all nothing burger statute can be used to save the two people who conspired together against the U.S., although there was no fraud, no, no attempt to no, – no wrongdoing, no stealing, no nothing, but you're conspiring against the U.S. If you can take two people and, and claim they're conspiring together – what Andrew McCarthy is getting at is Mueller is setting this prosecution up to say maybe if he can get these two people on conspiring against the U.S. when there's no fraud involved, can he then make the same charge against, let's say, a president and his subordinates discussing firing FBI director or considering firing a special counsel? Mueller is creating a law that isn't there to get after Manafort and Gates and the belief that Andrew McCarthy has so that he can do the same kind of thing against Trump and against his team, conspiracy against the U.S., which is not a crime, and bring charges, bring criminal charges not justified by federal law, justified by a new concocted law that he just thought up in this Manafort and Gates prosecution. Folks, this is huge. I may come back to it later in the show, but we're up on a break. And when we come back from the break, we're changing topics entirely. We're going to have joining us uh, David McIntosh, who is head of Club for Growth, and talk about the tariffs, which is important also. Come right back. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. 
So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, I said at the start of the last segment, I was going to share something with you. I do want to encourage you. Um, I mentioned Kelly Ward, K-E-L-L-I Ward. She's a U.S. Senate candidate from Arizona, and she has an event coming up where she's going to be endorsed uh, by Sebastian Gorka. And so, I mean, he just, he was so great at CPAC, in my view. So uh, if you're interested in going to that event... Um, I would urge you to go to kellyward.com, click on the events tab, or you can email info at kellyward, K-E-L-L-I-Ward.com, and they, um, the, uh, it's coming up, I don't have the dates in front of me, I told her I would tell her about this when I remember the dates, it's like 28th, 29th of March, it's coming up next week, so if you're in Arizona, you might want to go. Okay, joining us this hour, I'm, as I mentioned before the break, uh, we have David McIntosh, and uh, he's been on the show before, and it wasn't even that long ago, I meant to look how recent it was, but... I reached out to him again because I wanted to talk with you about all of this, um, of the news that President Trump is seeking and and has, uh, is is talking about tariffs, in fact, has begun, I guess, to impose tariffs. And there's always discussion when tariffs come along about whether or not, you know, uh, uh, they are helpful or harmful. And and many, many serious, earnest economists will say, or kind of raise the red flag and said, don't do this, don't do this. But I wanted to have an actual expert come on and just talk to you about why so many free market conservatives do not support tariffs of any kind. So I believe we have David McIntosh on the phone. Hello? 
Hello, how are you? I'm very well. It's nice to talk with you. And I'll quickly remind our listeners, even though you were on fairly recently, he is the president of the Club for Growth, fabulous pro-economic growth organization in Washington. Uh, he served in Congress. Uh, he's uh, in, in from the uh, district in Indiana, 2nd District. He served on the Reagan administration. Um, and he's co-founder of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy. But the reason I want to talk to him is because Club for Growth is so consistently and strongly clear about free markets and economic growth being just so important to America. So why are all you free market guys so against tariffs? Oh, thank you, Debbie. Um, and this is a really important question to come up because the the tariffs the president has proposed for steel and aluminum are the latest uh, really major example of that. And it's a clear shift from a policy that has helped the U.S. economy for several decades now of having low tariffs so that we can have free trade that both creates jobs and creates a lot of economic growth in the economy. Mainly, tariffs are a tax. Um, It's a tax paid by Americans. We say that it's a tax on goods being imported from another country, so it sounds like it's a tax on China or Europe or other countries, but it's a tax paid by Americans. And the consequence of it is that items we buy from other countries are more expensive for us to buy. They're more expensive for American companies when they buy their raw materials from overseas and have to then uh, pay more and be are less competitive on the world stage. So we, we think it's a really bad policy and takes away a lot of the benefit that we got with the tax cuts and that the president put through at the end of last year. Okay, so I, I just want to pretend, and I will just say, if this was Economics 101 and you were in just starting out in your economics education in college, and they were, because I, I am serious about this. I think that, I think they have the same intuitive appeal. You know, when someone just drew a picture in, in the abstract of someone who flip, flipped hamburgers for a living and only makes, you know, some small amount of dollars per hour, and the instantaneous reaction of some people, if you're not thinking economically, is, well, just mandate a higher minimum wage. That'll solve it. And I think these kind of have the same thing. It, it feels good at the moment to say, you know, we're going to fix this by putting a tariff on. But as you are pointing out, it has repercussions throughout the economy. But play off me a little bit. So suppose we do this. Suppose we had a huge tariff put on. I mean, play out the kind of economic impact that would happen in America in a specific way, if you could. And, and the last time that we really saw that happen was in between World War One and World War Two. It's, it's often referred to as one of the causes for our Great Depression. The United States uh, saw the economy... Um, shrinking, and the stock market collapsed with the the great um, stock market collapse in the late 20s. And the response was to put in very major tariffs on U.S. manufactured goods. Well, other countries retaliated with tariffs on U.S. goods. And the the problem ended up being that uh, neither country would be selling to each other and the whole world economy went into a Great Depression because of that. It, it can, when you have these trade wars, it can have hugely serious impacts on the U.S. and our economy. Uh, basically, if we put tariffs on things that are coming in from the rest of the world, Europe, Canada, Mexico, China, um, they can sell us less things. 
well, then they have less money to buy the things we make and send to them. And in most of those cases, like Canada and Mexico, we have a net positive balance where they buy more from us than they sell us. And But if they, if they aren't making any money because their economy's been slowed down because of our tariffs, they don't have any money to buy our goods. That slows down our economy, and you get into a downward spiral, essentially, where everybody loses as a result of that. It's like other countries don't take this standing still. They, they react with their, okay, so here's my next thing, though. So suppose we were aware, suppose a country that is a trading partner of ours, uh, or and maybe even not pursuant to an agreement, maybe they're all in agreements, but they, they're trading in any case, and they put a tariff on our things coming into their country. What is the right, but you would say in that case, it's not, it's not the right reaction for us to put a reciprocal tariff on that we should deal with it some other way. Is that right? Well, and, and, and let me mention really two options. One, one that you mentioned, which is to not put a reciprocal tariff on, um, but essentially, um, to, you know, work to compete with them and, and trade in other ways. And the reason not to is we punish ourselves for something bad the other country has done to our products. Um, the other is, and we've done this with in the past with Japan, with the auto industry, and it, it is to put some reciprocal tariffs back and forth until they eventually agree, okay, we're going to start allowing U.S. cars into Japan, and eventually they started making Japanese cars here in the U.S. You, you saw all these Honda, Toyota, yeah. Subaru plants spring up throughout the Midwest. Um, so in that case, a, a very tailored, narrow response did have a positive response. I, I'm a complete free trader, so I, I believe you just don't punish yourself. You don't put any tariffs back on. But I do think the history is that it worked well for us with the Japanese auto industry. Now, the other thing that had to happen was the U.S. auto industry had to become a lot more efficient. One of the, one of the things that happens if you willy-nilly slap tariffs on countries because they sell you more goods than, than they buy from you is that companies that haven't kept up with it's a lot more expensive per ton to make steel here in the U.S. than it is to make it in other countries because they've got the resources, lower labor, and if we don't keep up with it, we the tariffs are a way of kind of hiding that inefficiency and keeping the old tired industry going longer than the competitive market would force it to change. And we saw that with the auto industry, by the way, when it was um, didn't have much competition from overseas. They made hugely expensive cars. Now they're much more efficient, just-in-time assembly. They, we trade with Canada and Mexico so much because one part's made in Canada, it's shipped here. We add another part to it, then we ship it back there and back. Uh, things that are in our U.S.-made cars today will travel back and forth across the border with uh, Canada three or four or five times. I think this is so helpful. I love the, I also like trying to almost picture it, you know, as you're speaking about picture the countries and the, the trade rolling around. I do want to get to, we only have a minute left in this segment, and I do want to get to, though, uh, and I understand you can hang on through the break, which is just great, because yeah. I think it's so important to understand these things. But, for example, um, China being one of the just, you know, 
largest economies in the world, China, that we holds a lot of American debt, is apparently has been accused, and, and we I think most people accept it. They've engaged in um, theft of intellectual property. They've engaged in other unfair behavior, uh, protectionist trade practices. And part of what's happened, in addition to that they do that, is that we have enabled China's economy to grow, which you could argue, I guess, is a good thing, except we've also enabled a Chinese government to grow, to have more prosperity, to have more. So you kind of do sometimes wonder with China in particular, and given they're, you know, they're accused of currency manipulation, they're accused of uh, uh, theft of intellectual property, if you don't uh, deal with them through trade deals and tariffs and and a really firm and um, in fact even one could argue not retaliatory but aggressive tariff tariffs. How do you bring them? How do you otherwise punish them for the con- conduct they engage in that really does end up in America um, hurting our industries if they steal our intellectual property? So we're going to zip off the break so you can think. Of, you probably already know the answer, okay. but when we come back, we'll talk about that. Thanks, folks. We're t- speaking to David McIntosh of Club for Growth. Come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection. 
from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. If you're listening before the break, you know we're having the great pleasure of speaking tonight with David McIntosh. He is the president of Club for Growth and a uh, just a really articulate uh, spokesperson and defender of free markets, including uh, being fr- on internationally free trade and, and not having tariffs. But I want to get back to, uh, because this is uh, we're having this discussion, of course, because President Trump has been uh, talking about the need for steel and aluminum tariffs in particular. But what is the answer, uh, Mr. McIntosh, on the subject of China and should we deal with their intellectual property theft and other unseemly conduct through tariff policy or in some other way? Yes. Uh, I think the much better way would be to increase and have very strict enforcement of the intellectual property laws that we have, including if that means intercepting goods that come into the country and just holding them at the port and really showing China we're not going to allow you to uh, steal our intellectual property, then turn it around into other goods and send it back here. That's different than a tariff because it doesn't impose higher costs uh, on American citizens, but it would actually punish the Chinese. Uh, we've, we've rhetorically pushed at them for a long time on this, and they always say, yes, yes, we're going <laughs> to abide by these intellectual property rules, and then they don't. So I do think we, there have to be consequences, and, and I would hope that the president's team at Commerce and and Trade USTR would consider other ways of really getting tough with China to make sure that we're going to protect our property rights and our privileges under the free trade agreement we have. The other thing is, let's remember, we, we entered into free trade with them in the late 1990s, and since then, American companies have opened up a huge new market for a lot of our goods and services. And we actually sell a lot to the Chinese. So we, we want to be careful, again, that we don't cut our nose off to spite our face. 
Okay, and on, you mentioned the president's team, and I'm obviously you all were aware at Club for Growth that this past week, uh, Larry Kudlow, who's a uh, well-known uh, and just honestly always entertaining, but a well-known speaker and thinker, and he was tapped by President Trump to become his chief economic advisor. I think that's the title, chief economic, whatever the title is, he's going to be on hand with President Trump offering um, offering his input on, on economic policy. So do you view him, Larry Kudlow, as a good source to maybe guide President Trump away from expansion of his tariff ideas? Well, um, I think Larry is a, definitely a free trader, uh, and he'll be a fantastic advisor to the president. I, I think the president makes up his own mind on these, so it'll depend on how persuasive Larry is, because the president likes to hear views on from all different angles on on questions like this and i what i do think larry will be able to do is put it clearly to the president you want to be careful when you're doing these tariffs that you don't hurt american businesses as well my my prediction is by the way within 12 to 18 months we'll see these tariffs lifted effectively there may be a few countries that we don't really buy that much from that'll be there Bush tried the same thing, tariffs on steels, yep. in the early 2000s, and figured out it was hurting America more than it was hurting our competitors, and they pulled them back 18 months later. Yeah, it's, you know, we didn't even go off on talking about the, um, the we alluded to, but the, the devastating consequences of the Smoot-Hawley tariffs and how that Many people took that as a as a lesson to point to uh, for all future consideration of tariffs. Just remember what happened then. And I don't want to I don't want to go back in history, but I do think it's important to recognize that these kind of ideas have been tried before, and um, and sometimes with very uh, detrimental consequences. The other thing I want to ask you about is, and this is my uh, I'm not an economics major, was not an economics major, so. I always think it seems smarter on trade deals, generally speaking, to have bilateral deals. You have a deal with this country, deal with that country, and then whenever wrongdoing occurs, it seems like you have more leverage. But is that, does that make any difference? Are, are the multilateral trade agreements just as good, in your view? Um, I think that it depends on what's in them. I, for example, uh, our, our trade with Canada and Mexico is a trilateral, and that lets us free the whole North American continent. For movement of goods and services, um, the TPP was one that was controversial and eventually shelved. But what people didn't realize was that was organizing most of Asia to actually be a trade partnership opposing China. China wasn't part of it, but it was everybody else. Now those countries have gone on ahead and organized themselves into a trade group. The United States isn't part of it because we withdrew from the process. Uh, but we ought to we ought to do bilaterals with the major ones like Japan and other countries, if we really want to confront China and tell them we're not going to let you be the bully in Asia or not play by the rules, uh, then we're going to need help from these other countries. It, bottom line, bilateral agreements will be great. I, I've urged the president to do that. He's all in favor of them. Uh, I think Japan and some of each of the Asian countries would be good. Britain would be a great one to do. You know, the EU is yes. <laughs> totally in, uh, pissed at them, excuse my French, for leaving Brec- the Brexit, leaving yeah. the EU. We ought to say, come join us. We'll, it's an opportunity. We're your partners, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. And And so I think that's a great example of a bilateral agreement that would be really good to do. Oh, I love that, too. So did you disagree with, with, withdraw- with withdrawing from TPP? Um, I, 
I was I regretted it. I think there was a lot of good that we could have done there. It was clear it was politically unpopular. President Obama hadn't really spoken to why we needed it, um, and and people didn't understand it was a way of organizing opposition to China, and so the public said no, don't do it. And in the end, the political process went that way, and it did it just died on its own accord. But I think um, what we could do now is bilateral agreements with some of the big players there. They're in their joint agreement with the rest of them. That'll let us effectively uh, build a barrier to China. I, I love that. One thing, a specific thing on China, and I, I am kind of picking on them because I, I, they're in the news more, and I, you know, they seem to raise more issues. But uh, you hear about this concept of transshipping, dumping steel into the U.S. through other countries. And can you first of all explain what people mean when they use that expression, and then what is the way, the policy way for America to deal with that? Um, so I'm less familiar with it, but what I believe they're talking about is China would manufacture the raw steel. And right now, some of the steel they sell to us is raw steel that we then turn into uh, wire, sheet metal, lots of end products. Um, and so those steel companies are actually going to be hurt by these tariffs because they, they buy the raw material from China on the West Coast, where it's cheaper than buying it from the East Coast, where it's produced in the U.S. Um, but I think the trend shipping is instead of coming China to the U.S., they might send it to Brazil, and Brazil wouldn't do anything to add value to it. They just simply send it on to us. And at that point, every company sources the origin of all of its imports. I, I think we could still enforce the tariffs and if, it were, if they were located against China by just requiring when we buy something in Brazil, they have to tell us, is this made here or is it made somewhere else? Yeah. Okay. And I want to hit I'm, I, one more thing back to the steel thing, because this was what President Trump specifically was speaking about is America's need for steel and, you know, for military equipment and, and all that. Um, and then it was a, a story. You probably saw U.S. Steel CEO uh, David Burrett. Uh, was interviewed this week and Wednesday, and he was saying that these these tariffs by President Trump are so exciting that they are going to reopen a steel plant in the U.S. and bring back 500 jobs. And, you know, I, I, this is the other aspect of all this is I don't know whether President Trump is in part playing to his base of of, you know, kind of the, the working class American that wants jobs to come back. But again, this could be a short term uh, boost to the steel industry that's going to bring this, this, their jobs back. But long term, the dam- damaged America's culture, or excuse me, our economy would be much greater. So what's your take on all that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's great that we're going to get those 500 jobs. I worry about the potentially five, six times that number that will be lost in the auto industry and other companies that, that buy steel to as their starting base to when they make a car or bats or aluminum cans, if it's the aluminum tariffs. Um, so I think what we've got to do is get to uh, lower tariffs across the board and then use our competitive edge, frankly, lowering the regulations and the tax burden on U.S. steel companies will let us be more competitive, and hopefully we'll be able to keep those jobs even without the tariff. I certainly hope so. Okay, we're speaking with David McIntosh, and I was going to tell our listeners, that did it last time you were on too, but I want people to know you can join Club for Growth and just to be a supporter, get information from them, be someone who's part of this argument in America to hold on 
to free trade and free enterprise as, as a, an economic growth, as a agreed-upon goal in America, especially after we just finished an election cycle in 2016 where we had the first openly socialist guy as a serious candidate on one side. So tell our listeners just a little bit about what does it mean to join CFG and what, what are the benefits? Yes, and you can do that by going to our website, clubforgrowth.org, and signing up for free. Um, What you get from that are our alerts about issues that are happening in Washington. As well, you can become a member of our affiliated political action committee, our PAC, that helps elect candidates. Uh, In Texas, we just had um, several great victories in the primary. And uh, Bunny Pound, I know (laughs) your listening district, we've endorsed her. And so if you're a member, you can come in and contribute to her on our website, and you can see all the other candidates around the country who are real champions for conservative, limited government values. Um, I have to say I'm very proud of the people that we've endorsed this year and and think they're going to make a big difference, like money. Um, so those are the benefits of joining. Uh, we, we You have to be a member to get into the website and look at the candidates and give to them. I guess you can tell who we've endorsed, but to actually give, we ask you to join. Um, and then we, we invite you to events that we have with a lot of the people we've elected, Pat Toomey, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee. Um, and it, basically it's a way you can make a big difference on making sure that these conservative values are really held fast in Washington. I just love that. I also was going to mention from Texas, Chip Roy, who's been yeah. on this show numerous times. He's in a runoff, but he was one of, was it like, I don't know how many, 15 or some, some crazy number of people running for U.S. Congress to replace Lamar Smith. And so they're in a runoff, but Chip Roy is just a fabulous candidate. And I think y'all are backing him too, right? We did, and we, we backed him in the primary. In fact, our other PAC, the Super PAC, spent about a half a million dollars because when Chip started, he was 14 out of 17. Yeah. Um, you know what? Nobody I'm... knew who he was. And so we bought ads to, to introduce him to voters in Texas, and, yep. and he caught on. We are so out of time. I'm so sorry. David McIntosh, I love talking with you. Thanks so much for calling in. Great to be with you, Debbie. Blessings. <laughs> okay, folks, we'll be right back after the break with a Roundtable Millennial. 